Hello, my name is Yadviga Lee and I am the founder of New Beginnings. In this podcast, we are going to be talking to Sylvia, a parent I met in 2018 when we had just started New Beginnings and I was busy recruiting parents to our first cohort. Sylvia's social worker had referred her to us because her children were subject to child protection under the category of neglect. The reason why Sylvia's social worker thought she would benefit from our attachment and trauma-informed programme was because Sylvia had been a victim of domestic abuse for many years. Sylvia had also lost her eldest son to suicide. In an attempt to numb her pain, Sylvia used illicit substances and although Sylvia openly disclosed she was a cannabis user to her social worker and to me, what she never admitted was that she was also addicted to amphetamine. It was her addiction to amphetamine that ultimately led to her children becoming accommodated into foster care in 2020. In this podcast, we explore what it was like for Sylvia to go through the child protection system with a hidden addiction in the hope that we can help other parents who are in a similar situation break their silence. And we also wanted to record this podcast in the hope that we might be able to help social workers and therapeutic practitioners who are not drug and alcohol workers better understand what kind of support they may be able to offer a parent who they think may have an addiction. We hope you enjoy listening to Sylvia's story. Can you remember that time when I came to your house with your social worker? Truthfully, no. Really? Yeah. Because you, that day, you won me over. I'd met a few parents who we were trying to get on New Beginnings, the very first group, and then your social worker said, oh, God, you need to come and meet my parents, Sylvia. Um, She's suffered a lot of trauma in her life, and this would be the perfect programme for her. And I came with your social worker to your house. It's really bad in that, I can't remember. Yeah, that's mad, isn't it? Because it's a day I'll never forget. I I remember coming to the building. So the so the first bit was at the children's centre, wasn't it? Yeah. So I don't really remember much about that bit. Yeah. I remember more about the second, because we did it twice, didn't I? So yeah. I can remember more about the second lot. So tell me then, why was that? during the first time that you couldn't remember what was going on? Probably drugs, wasn't it, you know? Yeah. There's a lot of things that I can't... Remember? Yeah, I must have, like, pushed right down. I don't know. But there's a lot of things I don't remember, and then one day I was just like, oh, yeah, I remember that. So the referral came through stating that you were smoking cannabis... Okay. um, ..to manage the trauma that you'd encountered in your earlier life. Okay. And you were worried when I came round that I was going to ask you to give up. The cannabis, yeah. Yeah. And I said, um, no. Back then, I didn't know what I was walking into, but I said no. But it became really apparent to me in the first group when you were coming that you were out of it when you were coming. That you were stoned or high or something. Was I with my... Was I with... My kid's dad at the first one. No. you. I think you'd recently split up with him. Right. So I was probably high. Not off the cannabis. What were you high on? Amphetamines. Okay. Probably, yeah. So tell me, why were you using that at the time then? Amphetamines and cannabis. So I started using cannabis when I was paying that much out because my, my kid's dad, he was a, a big user. I was paying that much out for it. I might as well smoke it myself. And that's yeah. why I started smoking cannabis. Whereas the amphetamine's different, like, I knew when I first started taking it, it was about eight, 17, 18, I knew how it made me feel. I could forget about things that were upsetting me. And it gave me more confidence and, and I didn't really care about what people thought about me or... And when... After I lost my son, I knew that 
that was the only thing that was going to stop me dealing and feeling the emotions that I was feeling. Yeah. And then obviously with stuff that was going on with my children's dad as well, I knew that's the only thing that I would, I wouldn't think about what was going on and I wouldn't think about how, and I could, and it kind of numbed me. Yeah. That's one way to explain it, and it numbed me. So that's why I started taking it again. And then after that, I couldn't not have it. So there's a thing you cheat, so people say, you you have a choice to take drugs. Yeah. You do have that choice. And some people can have a smoke or a drink or a cocaine or whatever at a weekend, but an addict takes it to extreme, and that's why I'm an addict. And I always will be an addict. And once I was having it every day, I couldn't not have it. So some days where I didn't have it, I would be, what's, you know, asleep or, or I couldn't go out. So I used it to function. I remember you saying that you were struggling with sleeping, you know. That's probably why. <laughs> yeah. And I used to say, what was it? What, what, what keeps you awake? And you went, um, you were worried about people breaking in? We were probably worried about mates getting in, yeah. Yeah. You were worried about everything that's happened in your past. It would wreck your head. You'd be laying a night awake yeah. thinking about it at night. And so you used to use the cannabis as a way of going to sleep. So when I finished, so I was worried about mates getting in because of things that had happened in the past. And then sleeping during the day, I didn't have a problem with that. But sleeping at night, I felt safer sleeping the day than I don't know why. And I felt like that all the way till I got clean. That first group that I ran, that was my very first group, yeah. cohort one. I think you came for a few sessions and I said, you're not ready. Yeah. Um, I, remember I, mean, I remember sitting in the room yeah. and you telling me you're not ready. And I was like, you want me to step, step, step down? You went, yeah. And I, me I remember that. That's interesting. Yeah, I do remember, because we had the bigger room where we did the group. Yeah. And we had the other room, yeah, and you took me in the other room. Yeah. And, you said, and I remember it, yeah, you told me I weren't ready. And you said, I'm going to come back. Yeah, if I could come back on the next one, yeah. I'd love to do that. And I said, yeah, of course you can. Yeah. And you did, you came back on the next one. Yeah. And you came to almost every group session, do you know that? But we were in a really serious place then. Yeah. You were in pre-proceedings, I think. I was always in it, so sometimes I'd be on child protection, then pre-proceedings, and then I'd sort my stuff, meet me, me shit out, you know what I mean? Do what you want, what people wanted me to do. When you told me on the first one that I had to, I weren't ready, I always said, but can I come back on the second one? I remember you being really upset when I said yeah, you were ready. Yeah, I was upset, yeah. But there were certain things you wouldn't do. Come on, like what? So there were certain activities where we had to go and really delve into your past. No, I didn't want to. And you wouldn't go there? No. No. And you used to, do you remember your nickname for me? Potato masher. <laughs> <laughs> you do remember that then? Yeah, because that's what he was like. It's like he was mashing up, yeah. And I'm interested because, of course, I didn't know about the amphetamine. Yeah. I no. guessed that there was something more, but you would never do a drugs test. Because I linked you to Mosaic, yeah. and you talk about the um, cannabis, yeah. but you never mentioned the amphetamine, and you never would do a drugs test. So no one really knew, but I kind of guessed there was something more. So I've got a few questions about that, but one, I'm curious for me as a professional, working with someone who I didn't know was using amphetamine, but trying to get them to explore their trauma, and they're using amphetamine to suppress the trauma. So no wonder... I was mashing your head, called me the potato masher. And I used to get really lost going with you. <laughs> now we've got it all out in the open. What would you say to someone in your situation? I think it's, f I th you know what, I'll be honest, I think it's fear. Because I remember always sitting down with you and you cannot take my children. I was feared up. If I admitted my problem, then you might take my children. But not only that, I took drugs for a reason, you know, to, to, to numb my pain. I didn't want to feel, you know, I didn't want to feel that pain. You know, I didn't, I didn't want to deal with my chatting. Counselling was always offered to me as well, and I wouldn't do it. I refused to do it, because I believed it wouldn't change anything. 
people, the things that have happened have still happened. And you know what, like, I didn't know about recovery or anything like that. I didn't want to admit because I didn't want to take any children. Was there any time when you wanted to tell me, where you were close to telling me? Sometimes, yeah, and I think, you know what, I was, I was very misunderstood as well with the way I come across. Because I remember in job sex, you were very, but you're aggressive, and, and I remember writing that letter. I remember writing about how I really felt, yeah. how, I, how I really felt. And I read that letter out. Yeah, and people had different perspectives on that. You see, it's interesting because um, when you say people said you were aggressive, yeah. who was it that was saying that you were aggressive? Social services, school, every, everybody that I'd come in contact with. Can you remember child protection? Well, one thing, you never used to go regularly. And then I think one day we got you there, me and your social worker. Um, what did it feel like going to... It's not nice. No. It's not nice being sat in a room and everyone telling you that, you, that you're that a shit mum. Especially when you know it yourself. Yeah. You know, and to be sat there and to hear, you know, things. And I think I got... A, I come across aggressive, but I weren't... I didn't... That weren't my intention. I was just defending myself. Because that's how it felt. Like, I had to defend myself every time with everybody. With social services, with school. I felt like I had to defend myself. Some of the things that were said, I, I disagreed with. You know, there's there's incidents like... The smelly sock incident and stuff like that, you know, yeah. disagree with that. And and but now, every every concern that you had, that social had, school had, you're probably right. But there was something really unique about you as well, and I don't think you're probably getting that bit. You're very special. You really do have an impact on people, and you had a massive impact on me. And I know that you and I have got a good relationship and we've gone through a lot together. Mm. But you, I learned as much from you as I think you've learned about yourself over the past few years. I, I don't think I realised at the time, like, why has this woman come into my life? Because <laughs> I heard about you before you were referred to me, your family. Mm. You know, I remember someone in a meeting saying, you'll never, ever crack this one. This family's been known to us for years. So I think I, I, I was like a, a dog with a bone. I was like, no, I'm going to prove to you all that it, uh, you're wrong, that you've judged her and you can't see what she's gone through. So sometimes I used to think I wanted it more than you. I didn't really care. Mm. As long as I didn't feel the feelings that I felt that I didn't want to feel. And as long as I, had, I had my drugs, so I didn't really care. And I couldn't say that not then, I could say that now, I didn't really care. I survived day to day. Yeah. So you say that, but I think that there must have been something because you came back. You didn't care, but there was something there that wanted to Because I never wanted to lose my children. No, you didn't, did you? No. No. And I, and I thought to keep, and I remember saying, you can't take my kids, you can't take my kids. Mm. And I never could. They never did. They never could. They never could. No, because I think you always used to do just enough. Yeah. To get you, yeah. <laughs> you'd pull it together. Yeah. Just as um, PLO pre proceedings was coming to an end, that time period, yeah. the amount of times your social worker got that extended, you know. Yeah. I remember saying to my son, "What can I do? What can I? Do? Well, I can't get through to you, mum." And my son turned around and said, you, you, "She will do what she wants to do." Yeah. You can't, she, she won't get, you can't get through to her. And uh, I know of other families that are in less of a worse situation than your family were, and they've had their children removed from them. So there was something there about you and who you were, and the relationships that you had with your social worker and with me, because we were both fighting for you, yeah. and seeing hope. Sometimes you have someone that believes in you. And we did. I know. And you were, and you both, yeah. 
you did everything that you could and it still wasn't good enough. It's not you weren't you what you did weren't good enough. I want my social life didn't go it weren't. It's just me. There's nothing that any either of you could have done to make my situation better. Mm. But I weren't gonna lose my children. I weren't gonna have anyone take my children. No, and you were adamant about that. Yeah, yeah. And in fairness, they stayed with you. It was only something else that happened that turned it all upside down. Sylvia is being kind when she says that there was nothing more that me or her social worker could have done. Yeah, she is right, we did do a lot. We pulled out all the stops to make this work for her family. But what I didn't hear at the time was that we had a parent here with us who was too scared to tell her she was using amphetamine because she knew that this disclosure could have led to the removal of her children, the children that she loved. Except it wouldn't have necessarily because when parents disclose their drug addiction to their social worker, in many cases, it is seen as a parent being open and honest, especially when they are prepared to work with drug support services. But she didn't believe that, or she didn't know that because no one had told her. Sylvia had lots of services involved, but she didn't feel safe enough to tell anyone. She felt judged. She couldn't tell any of us that she was too scared to feel the pain that she'd experienced throughout her life. Some people access therapy and some people don't. Referring Sylvia to a trauma-informed program that was focused on helping parents explore their past was probably the last thing that she needed. What Sylvia needed was a safe space to share her secret. And I didn't provide her with one. So tell us about that day, because that is really, I'd say, the changing point of your life, wasn't it? Yeah. So I was, there was stuff in my house that shouldn't have been in my house. Yeah. And police come that morning. I'd only been in bed about half an hour, because I'd just been cash machine and come back, and then police, yeah, they're not some banging on my door, let them in. And one of my children was asleep on the front room, sitting with me. And my other son was upstairs, my other son weren't there, he was at his dad's for the night. And they come, yeah, loads of them. They couldn't get around the back, because I always barricaded the uh, side gate, so no one could get around the back. So they was all on the front, and I let them, I let them in, yeah. And, and said, did you know that this was the day? When you when they were all there, did you know what they'd come for? Did you think I they'd come I couldn't, I couldn't, they said we've, we've got a warrant to search you for drugs, and I was like, what? I knew. I was just told them how it was. I went having a room at my house. So they got my other son from upstairs to my house, brought him down. My two sons were on the city and I'm on the other city. I knew. Because what I think is really interesting about that is that no one in social services knew. But we know now that the police have been planning this for a while, haven't they? Yeah. They've had intelligence. That's right. They've yeah. got to do that. So of course they do. I know yeah. friends have come in, they've got to check who's going to be in the property. Yeah. He's going to be at that property, if there's any dogs, if there's going to be any threats at that property, I know all that. Yeah, and I knew when I sat in that city, I knew, fine, well, that's it, I'm done. Yeah. I can't get out, this is a situation, because uh, I've done a lot of other situations that mm-hmm. I've got myself out of, and I thought, I can't get out of this. And I told them where it was, and they took me to the stairs, and they said to me, you know, you're going to jail. You're going to jail. So I said to them, let me have... 10 minutes with my sons, please. And they went, like, don't cuff me. Like, we won't cuff you, because you cooperate. You can have 10 minutes with your sons. And at that time, so after the police come in, social services come in as well. Um, it's about six o'clock in the morning, this. And uh, sat with my sons, I said, mum's got to go away. Mum's got to go with the police, and you've got to go with these ladies. I'm so sorry. I'll see you soon. And what happened after that, then? So they let me have a hug in that and uh, let me have the 10 minutes and they went, I knew we've got to go. And I was like, I knew. That was, and I thought that'd be the last time. I thought, I'm going to jail. That's it, I'm done. And and they cuffed me outside and the, the uh, social service come to the back of the van and went, we want you to sign. Because I told them to try and phone my daughter. They couldn't, phone my, they couldn't get hold of her. Mm. 
So I didn't want them going to the dads. So they said we want you to sign section 21. So I was like, and then if you don't sign that section 21, we'll give you police protection order on your children. And I thought, right, I'm signing section 21 for them. And that's the hard, one of the hardest things for us to do. So you mean section 20, don't 20, you? 20, sorry, yeah, it's 20. Voluntary accommodation all the time. Yeah, yeah. And you'd never signed that before, had you? Never. No. Because I've been, I've been asked before yeah. by my social worker to sign, just to give me a break. Mm. I said no. But I knew when I got to the police station, I thought I'm going to have to admit that I'm an amphetamine user because if I'm going to go to jail, I'm going to be doing my rip. So I need to, and that's the first time I, I owned up to it, to anybody. It, well, authority-wise. And I got bailed that night with no access to my children. So I went home and I thought they took everything, but they didn't. Oh, no way. They didn't know, they didn't. But I, little did I know, I had little stash places. Yeah. And I went in one of the cupboards and there was a, a big amount of thought and I was like, I'm not, I'm not going to be doing my rip for it, so, yeah. Yeah, what do you mean by rip? It's like me, so, different people have different things about amphetamine, yeah. Yeah. But for me, I get to the fourth, fifth day of not having any and I start sleeping and sleeping once I tried to stop, and I remember not having any for two weeks, but I was just asleep all the time. Kids were in school and stuff like that. Right. And then I felt better. Yeah. But then as soon as I could get it again, I got it again. And yeah, yeah. So I, I did try before. So it's like, uh, you know, like I can't, I've never had a heroin um, a detox, so I don't know, but it was very, I was very uncomfortable. My arms were hurting, my legs were hurting. Uh, I'm very like, uh, what's the word? Um, couldn't sit still. You know what I mean? Like I could try and go sleep and I'd wake up and it weren't, it weren't nice. And then the next day, I went into the social services and I saw my children over. You did. I did. Yeah. So I, they were never taken from me. I gave them. I handed yeah. them over. They were, and my children were never taken. No. I handed them over because I had no choice. Because I couldn't carry on. It worked fair on me and it worked fair on them. That was a big decision to yeah, make. Yeah, I dragged it, yo. I thought, I can't do it anymore. I thought, I'm going to... If I don't... If the drugs don't kill me, I'm going to kill myself. And I couldn't have that. I couldn't do that to my children. So I signed them over, yeah. Sylvia is right. She had been asked on a number of occasions to agree to a Section 20, the voluntary accommodation of her children, but she always refused. Even though she was buckling with a strain of hiding her addiction and trying to manage everyday life with her children. What I find really interesting is that it was the police who turned the situation on its head. And given the circumstances, it was probably the best thing that could have happened to her and her children. Sylvia had more than just personal possession in her home. She had enough amphetamine that could have sent her to prison. Getting caught that day forced her hand. She had to make a choice, rehabilitation or imprisonment. She chose to disclose her addiction and get support. And by signing a section 20, she avoided court proceedings. Everything she had been hiding from professionals had finally come to light and her children were placed in foster care. However, Sylvia wants to make it clear to me that she didn't lose her children to care. She signed them over. And this is an important point that she wants to make explicit. She did not have her children removed from her. She asked a local authority to care for them in her absence. So what Sylvia is saying is that this decision enabled her to maintain some level of dignity at a time in her life when she felt nothing but shame. And then went straight to drug and alcohol place, so I need help. You did? You went straight there, didn't I did. you? Yeah. I need help. And that was a residential? So I went to Stockport, into drug and alcohol team in Stockport, mm-hmm. said I need help. I told them about everything. Somebody phoned me about a couple of days later, so we might be able to get your detox and a rehab. And I was like, yeah, yeah. And then I got told I couldn't have it. And I was like, I'd do anything. 
I'll do anything else outside your building, protest, I will do a GoFundMe, I'll do whatever it takes. And then she ran me a week later, we've got your detox and rehab. But you're going to have to wait, because it was in COVID. Oh. So it was in March, so March 2020, it was COVID, COVID just hit. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And it was really, yeah, so from the March, so yeah, so March, we didn't go into detox till July, so... So I was still on probation. I was on probation every week. I was high risk probation. Uh, Reoffending. Um, I've just got off my head every day. Yeah. Drinking. Drinking was never one of my things. But yeah, I started drinking. Because in that house, you know what? Like, being in a house, yeah, that was loud and kids running around and me stressing and, and they weren't like that. It was... It was, yeah, it was quiet. It was just a lot of me head. I remember you you did up your sitting room and you had um, memory boxes. Yeah. You did memory boxes? Yeah, yeah, I did. So I made them... I made them... Um, a memory box each. And I wrote my letter each. And I put in the letter, like, it's, you are... It's not your fault. Don't ever think that you are where you are because it's not your fault. Mm. It's me, and I'm sorry. Oh man, I make things better. God, it must have been a long time there in that house. It was. It was horrible. During COVID. Yeah, you know. I remember being sat on the front doorstep, and my mate was at the front, at the front door, and they're like, "You know, you're not yourself." I was like, "I am not self isolating on my own. I've just lost my children, and there is no way." It would drive me... If I had to sit in that house on my own, I would have gone crazy. And, yeah, it was quiet in the house. And the house just... had no soul, had nothing. No. And you always used to say to me you'd never leave that house. Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. Because a lot of memories tied up Definitely, in that house. Yeah. And you did. And you did. Best thing you ever did. I remember that time during COVID, Sylvia calling me and begging me to come round to see her, saying she couldn't cope being home alone without the children. And I remember going into her house that time, and for once the house was clean and tidy, something that we had been pushing for her to achieve, and she had finally done it. It's just that it didn't seem important anymore. The house was eerily silent, and what I saw was a woman in pain a mother in pain. She was not only grieving for the son she had lost to suicide, she was also grieving for the sons who were alive, but no longer in her care. So tell me about the rehab unit then. So I remember going to the detox that morning, off me nut. I was absolutely off my face. Drunk, amphetamine dot, pre-gab dot, yeah, yeah. On the phone, on the way there. Yeah, I'm off to the detox, yeah, yeah. Got to detox. I'd not eat, I remember I'd not eaten for like about six days. And there was a breakfast waiting for me. I was like, even though I was high, I was like, I'm starving, so I spun that. And I told, they offered me medication. I said, no, I said, um, wait till about the fourth, fifth day, I'm gonna need it. And I was right. First day, I was wide awake, second day, sleeper. Third day slept all day, fourth day slept all day, fifth day woke up. Like, I need something. I need, and they just give me a medication. It made my detox a lot easier. And then while you were there, they started the journey revisiting your past, didn't they? So, in yeah. that time, from the March to the July, I only seen the kids twice. Because it's COVID, and oh, I remember God, first. Yeah. March eight, you couldn't. I couldn't see him. Yeah, weren't allowed to see him, and mm. it killed. I mean, I'd fight, you know, and that killed me. That and I was only seen twice. So I went to detox, and then yeah, I went to rehab. Okay. And that's one of the scariest things I've ever done. Going to rehab. Yeah, I was yeah, seen, yeah. I was there four days crying. I got like a little bush shelter. For, I sat in that bush shelter for about four days crying. Like I want to go home. I know. I remember that. I want to go home. I can't do that. Yeah. Could not do it. Well, what was weird was, my student was there. Yes. <laughs> he was, yes. Yeah. How mad is that? And he'd seen, I think, 
you'd come and delivered a, a lecture yeah, yeah, yeah. at Lancaster. I, so, I knew, so I knew who he was and I approached him and I was like, do you know? And he's like, yeah, and I was like, well, that's me. I like, no way it is. But yeah, rehab. And I knew when I got to rehab, I would have to deal with my stuff. And I'd have to be clean. Because getting off the drugs is easy, bit. Yeah. For a detox, you've got to, it's easy. Get medded up, it's easy. It's the... So some people do detox and go home. I have to be taken out of society to do my rehab. There's a lot of, yeah, it was... Go on. Scary. Yeah. Parenting course, scary. I remember um, when you were having to go back through your past, I remember you saying you'd walked away, you tried to walk out. And I think my student had driven after you down the drive. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's right, that is right. That is right, because, like, we did counsel, did my parenting. We did all different types, so we did stress and anger. Um, did all different types of groups, MBPS, all different, but the parenting one was the one that did it for me. Really? Yeah. You mean talking about your parents, your childhood? Me as a parent. You as a oh, parent, yeah, yeah. go on. That killed me, that. Mm. Because I always thought I was a good mum. Mm. I know things I know things went right, but I always thought I was a good mum. Because I was there, I went to a party every night, I weren't leaving my kids with whoever. I was there every night. They got fed, despite what people said, they got fed. You know, and I always thought I was a good mum. But once I got there, I realised I wasn't. And then there's that, then there's that guilt and shame. Mm-hmm. That was actually... I was, and I remember my social worker saying, there's never, ever been any doubt for the love you have for your children. There's never, ever been any doubt that you love your children and there's that bond with your children. But, yeah, I was... I a good mum. Mm-hmm. I neglected my children. Not physically, mm-hmm. but I, de- I, I, bu- I, I neglected, abused them then, mm-hmm. mentally. Emotionally, when we got to, and I know that now, I can sit here and all my shit and say I did that. Mm. And I wouldn't have done that, I know. And then I had to deal with the loss of my child, and that was really hard because I had a lot of guilt and shame around that as well. I was thought it was my, and you know what, in my addiction, that's all I really cared about. I didn't think about the children that I had. Mm. It was always about him and me, yeah. And I had to deal with that as well, mm-hmm. clean, and that mm-hmm. was painful. Mm-hmm. That was really painful. And what did you learn? Uh, it wasn't my fault. And you thought it happened? Yeah. What could have done differently? Mm-hmm. Well, it wasn't my fault. I'm the same with my kid's dad as well. You know, I used to think, if I, was, if, if it, if I wasn't me, would things have been different? And you know what, like... I was... Abused by my part, kids, and it wasn't my fault. And thought it was my fault because I, because I, because it was me. Mm. Yeah, having to do with all that straight. Yeah. And and you know what? I, it's like I say, I had a good child with me. I don't mean, but you know what? In when I was in treatment, it turned out that I didn't have a good childhood. I was going to ask you about your parents because you always used to say that to me. There's no yeah. point going back to the past. Yeah. I had a good childhood. No. So what did you learn? That I am the way I am because of my mum. Yeah. Mm. And that I go through the relationships that I went for because of my mum. Okay. Yeah. And like, yeah. And I have no relationship with her, do I? Last time I seen is when my dad died. I went around seeing, told her that like, she went well, yeah. 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 She used to tell me I was no good. Mm-hmm. I mean, and I got in a relationship where I was told I was no good. You were in that relationship for a long time? Yeah, a very long time. Mm. Even when I spoke with him, like, it took me a long time to get over him. Yeah, but you know I don't know him, I've never met him. Yeah. I met you at the point you'd split up. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no one's ever met him, they're just here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> The New Beginnings approach is designed to help parents understand how their past 
has affected who they are today and what strategies they're using to keep themselves safe. But what I didn't realise was that Sylvia was using amphetamine to keep herself safe. She talks about how amphetamine stopped her thinking about the death of her child and the abuse that she was experiencing at the hands of her partner. But it was doing something else as well. It was enabling her to forget her childhood. She always used to say to me that she'd had a good childhood, that there was no point revisiting her childhood because it was so good. I knew that didn't make sense, that something had to have happened for her to be in the situation that she was. Because after all, that's the way that social workers practice. We think systemically. And if her childhood was so good, why did she not have any fond memories of it? Why did she struggle to remember altogether? Why did she feel the need to dismiss her past and exonerate her parents? But I've learned something else from Sylvia. And that is that it is not helpful for a parent to revisit their childhood when they're using a strategy that's working relatively well in helping them forget it. So no wonder she called me the potato masher. No wonder I mashed her head. She was using reliable, readily available substances that helped her forget everything that had caused her pain. And here I was trying to penetrate a barrier she had taken years to build with the support of amphetamine. I was never going to win. For me, this was a real learning point in terms of the way we work with parents at New Beginnings. I used to always say that we would work with anyone, anyone in the child protection system or in pre-proceedings. But when the truth about Sylvia's story came to light, I realized that that approach, well, it's pointless. We could have no impact on a parent who was using substances to keep them safe from harm. Parents needed to engage with drug and alcohol services first before they could ever be open to talking about their past with us. People have asked me whether the New Beginnings programme re-traumatises people who are using substances. I haven't had any experience of that happening personally because parents like Sylvia are using substances so that they do not have to revisit the pain that when sober leaves them in agony. Sylvia recognised that and as she says, the detox, well, that was the easy part. The hardest part was being clean and learning what kind of parent she had been to her own children. So tell me about then, you get off um, amphetamine, you yeah. detoxed, yeah. you're now in recovery. So I had three months in treatment. I got to me the week before the third month. I was always admin, three months I'm off. I'm yeah. going back home, because I'd emptied all my house back home and I was doing an exchange with somebody. It was only around the corner, but I was doing an exchange to a new place. It was clean, it was tidy, because my other house was not clean inside That's chaos, and that's what comes with addiction. Yeah. Um, and then a week before, the three months was up, and I said, I need to stay here longer. I've not done what I need to do. Wow. So I stayed six months, and then a week before, just on four days before I was due to leave treatment, I said, I can't go back home. I'd been back home to, to my house and stuff like that, but your student took me back home. Yeah, yeah. Was that the day when I met you in the car park? No, that was when after I left treatment. That was Christmas, that when you let me okay. see the kids, because I'd not seen the kids from the July, and in the December, they sorted it out that I could go back home and see the kids, mm. and your student took me. Yeah. And we had a big hug as well. We did. We know it's supposed to eight yeah, me uh, your student was like I can't hug him like yeah, but um so what I loved just about that bit there, you've always kept popping up, you have. Oh. <laughs> you have a little message for me. And that was facilitated by that student. Yeah. Um but it was really helpful because you'd come with a message and you'd go, I need to tell you something. Do you know what I'm talking about? About me manipulating you. Yeah. 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 Because you was always good to me. And you believed in me and you kept trying to fight my corner and fight my corner. And I sat in treatment, I was like, I've manipulated my wife. Manipulated that lady. And she didn't deserve me to do that to her. Because you was always good to me. 
because those little messages were really helpful for me and, and like and they've been helpful for the shape of what we've been doing now like moving forwards what made you think I need to go and tell her Gail I think mm. yeah Gail well, I'm grateful and I didn't want you thinking bad you know what what I didn't want you thinking bad of me and I remember you coming to my house once and you're like I'm not angry I'm just disappointed I'm with you and, and you was really cold with me <gasps> Yeah, and, if, and I didn't like that feeling. God, you remember that then? Yeah, I do remember that. When yeah. you come to my house over something, yeah. and you wouldn't come in, no. and you stood on the doorstep, and you're so cold towards me, and that broke me that. Wow. Yeah, I remember being true, and I thought, do you know what? I've, I owe this lady an apology. Mm. Well, I, I were a decent pe- person towards you. But you know that is a decent person to go and do that, go and apologise. Because I believe that I owed you them. But when I think back to what was it about you that drew me to you and believing in you and um, your social worker too. Yeah. Because you really did have a heart and you really were a decent person, you know that? Do you know what? I always feel that way sometimes, like when I hear stories about like robbing people and stuff. I never did did any of that. I never, I never fucked anyone over to get what I never people were doing it to you people did it to <laughs> me yeah you know what it was it's like I felt part of like I just wanted to feel part of and I wanted to feel loved and wanted and you know what you now I look back then people didn't respect me they didn't love me they just wanted what they could help me mm. you know but with you it was so it was, you and me social you know social it was different mm. you didn't want anything out of me it's what it's about me and I just Manipulated and I know it and it went nice. And I felt like I had to apologise. And that was really hard writing that letter to you. Mm. Or was it a message or something? Mm. Writing that to you and telling you that I'm sorry, that was really hard. That mm. it was a lovely message to receive, then. Oh, right. It went, yeah. You deserve it. Well, I have to say, I did really want to help you and I believed in you. But remember, I started this with, and I wanted to prove them wrong. Actually, all we needed to do was give you love, support, and everything you needed to sort your life yeah, out. It doesn't matter. It's all right. Everyone cannot give me love and support. Mm. I try to help me. There's only one person that could have helped me, and that mm. was myself. I know. And I think what I've learned from your story and your journey, and being part of that journey, is that I couldn't want something. Yeah, yeah. But if that person doesn't want no, it, no, you've got. Yeah, you've got to want it. I can't change no. anything. No. So, I always wonder sometimes if well, the police had come to my house that day, would I still be doing the same? St- I don't know. I probably won't be. I'd probably be dead, truthfully. But I was like, fan- I remember phoning that police officer and thanking him. Yeah. Because I tell you what, that day saved, saved my life. Everything you had yeah. done up until that point changed. Yeah. And you are here today, and but rebuilding relationships with your kids. never needed Sylvia's apology. It wasn't what I was looking for. I wanted Sylvia to change. I wanted to prove to the cynics that they had got it wrong. That all Sylvia needed was a reliable transitional attachment figure. Someone who could help her make the connections between the past and the present. Help her see the potential she had and provide her with the tools she needed to make a better life for her and her children. But listening back to this interview, I realised that Sylvia was not the problem. I was. I was blinded by my own goals, by my own dogmatic stubbornness. I was disappointed because Sylvia wasn't willing to fight with me, to prove to the cynics that they were wrong, to show them that we could do this together. I still remember the look on her face that day when I called round to her house and I told her I wasn't coming in. I remember something else about that day as well. I remember telling her that I was done, that I couldn't do any more and that I didn't intend to. If anyone should have been apologising, it should have been me who was apologising to her, not her to me. You said something to me the other day, you went, um, the hardest bit about giving up drugs or admitting that you are addicted 
is the life after. No, because you don't know, you know, it's like, what, what life will I have after that? You know, because it's the unknown, isn't it? Fear of the unknown, I feel that's the only way I can describe it to you. And now you're there. And what, I never what? knew then that I could have a life like I have now. You couldn't see it? No. And, because do you know what's weird is, is that I've never thought about that bit being as hard as it would be for people who struggle with um, addiction. That bit, I always thought it was just the getting off it. No, it's not that. And that... It's, you can get, it's the easiest part, it's getting off drugs. Yeah. That's the easiest part. It's having to deal with all your shit. To deal with all your shit, but also what kind of life And the aftermath, yeah, yeah, and the aftermath, and the, and the chaos and the mayhem you've caused. And it caused a lot, especially in my children's, you know what I mean, my children's life definitely. Yeah. After I give up drugs, I've got to deal with my shit. I'm strong enough, you know what I mean? Can I cope with my kids being clean? You know what I mean? Can, yeah. I, can I deal with people clean? And you even go out to discos and stuff, don't you? Yeah, clean. Go, yeah, clean, yeah, yeah. Clubs, yeah. clean. You've got a choice. Recovery's got a choice if you want to put yourself in situations. So the best thing for me to do was I need to go to recover I need to recover her and I need to go somewhere else because I can't go back home. Because how can you grow in an environment that makes you sick? Mm-hmm. And that made me sick. Being around certain people made me sick. So I made the choice to relocate. Out of interest, those people, are they still doing what they're yeah. doing? Yeah. Yeah. Are you in touch with them? Yeah. Not yeah. all of them, but yeah. you have a few. I know what Facebook's like. You can always go on Facebook and check what's going on. And when you are on Facebook posting your stories, are those people happy for you? Yeah. Has anyone asked you, I want to do this, I want to... What, like, concert? Yeah, yeah, I've had a few. Like, your friends go, I'm ready Even to do this. Even people that, like, um, I've not, I didn't get on with. Really? Yeah, yeah, like, somebody messaged me the other week. Like, we, we didn't really, we didn't get on. He hated me, he hated me. Like, he said, like, see what I've done, and, and, like, he's struggling, can I help him? And, yeah, I'm a bit, wow. how yeah. does that feel when you get messages It's like weird. That? Yeah. I'm quite, I'm, I'm open. I'm open about where I am. I'm open about what I do. I'm going to recovery and stuff. Because if my, my story could just help one person, mm-hmm. then it's all good. You know what I mean? If my story, if one person could take something from, from my from my stuff, then that's the life I might save. So what can live or die this stuff? It's addiction and that's what I suffer with. So I didn't know that then. I know that now. I suffer with disease of addiction. I'm an addict and I always will be. And when you realise that, you can never smoke weed again. You can never amphetamine again. And I can never drink again. And I never thought that when I was in check. I thought, yeah, be all right, that's all I was But now I know that I suffer that disease and I can never... I'm an addict and I always will be. Have you ever been tempted? Yeah. Not yeah. tempted, but, like, you know, I've had using thoughts, yeah? Yeah. When things come up for me and, and, yeah. And how do you manage that? I'll be honest, though, everyone does it differently, but, but for me, I was to stay in the flat, watch a bit of rubbish on telly. Instead of phoning your dealer up or going to Tesco's, buying your beer, you pick up the phone. And there's always women at the end. And I struggled with women's relationships as well. Yeah, in addiction. Yeah. Definitely. With women, definitely. A few girl mates, but I was more for the lads, mate. Mm-hmm. But now I've got some amazing, amazing friends. And you know what about recovery is people don't want anything from you, they just want what's best for you. And we do normal stuff, we cinema, festivals. For food, I do all sorts. Barbecues. Mm. You do all the things that you used to do, but just just so be. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> How can I grow in an environment that makes me sick? What a great line! And she's right, of course. Sylvia couldn't return back to her community. She was the heart and soul of that community. Everyone knew her. Going into rehab, well, that was a really difficult decision for her to make. 
because she was leaving everything she knew behind. But making the decision not to return home once she was in recovery, well, that took incredible courage. Sylvia knew deep down that if she returned to the life that she had led, everything that she'd done up until that point, everything she had overcome, well, it would have come undone. So she made the only decision that she could make, and that was to start anew somewhere else. And she made that decision not only for herself, but for her children. Like I've had a lot of counselling while I've been in, in uh, recovery. Just finishing last bout counselling off now. Yeah. I've come to I've come to acceptance that my ex will never say sorry to what you've done to me, nothing like that, and it wasn't my fault. And and you know what? I've got acceptance around that. I've got acceptance that I could hold my stuff now. I'm so I was a shit mum. I was. I don't think I was a shit person. I don't. I think I've always been a decent person. I've just lost my way a little bit. Going from being sat in a car in on a Zoom call saying you'll never see your children again to where I am now. And where are you now with your so, kids? So, um, I've got my three younger ones that are in care, but I get to see them. You know, I can have them when I want. I've got my son here today with me, he's upstairs. I'm present for him. And you know what? Like my older two, I'm there at the end of the phone. I can be present today, whereas before, in addiction, even though I thought I was there, I wasn't there. And it's not about what I need, it's about what they need. When I come out of rehab, it was like, I want my kids, and you know what, it's, I'm three years clean, July, and I've still not got my children back, but you know what, that's all right. Because they're safe where they are, and I'm still working. Like, you, get, you think you get clean and that's it, it's not. One day at a time to deal with your stuff, and deal with behaviours. I was, you know, I was full of behaviours. And today I can choose who I have in my life and who I don't have in my life. Mm. And I've done the freedom programme, I've done that. I don't know what I'll accept from other people these days. If I, as long as I can go to bed at night time, knowing that I've not hurt no one, I've not hurt myself, my children are safe, I'm safe. I don't have to worry about electric, gas, fear, I don't have to worry about any of that anymore. Because you're now working, aren't you? I am now working, yeah. Yeah. So, um, so at first I was volunteering for a recovery organisation. Mm. which deal with people that arrive in addiction still are in recovery. And then I got a seven-hour contract. And that's just been up to a 14-hour contract. So I help other people like me. Because you've got to do, you've got to help other addicts. You've got to wake up every morning grateful. And I'm grateful. Grateful to be alive. Definitely. Do you enjoy your job? Yeah, I love it. So I went Blackpool, a few of us went Blackpool the other week, and my son come as well. And we are all, we went to uh, the fair and that, and I was on the pier and started crying. And I'm, I'm with someone now as well, so uh, he went away crying for me. I just feel so grateful right now. I feel so alive. I've got amazing people in my life. My kids are all right, you know. Me middle one, he understands addiction, he knows all about uh, my young one's a bit too young, and my older one's starting to ask questions now. Mm-hmm. You know, but I say, I say, like I said to the social worker, you can ask me anything. And I'll tell I'll always be up front and honest with them. Because I'd never want them to feel like what they did was their fault. What happened was their fault, because it never, it never worked, it was my fault. But when you've got so much trauma, like, trauma, I've got, I'm not, I've got trauma. And I weren't treated very nice. And then, yeah, and the addiction took hold and, yeah, chaos. So, if you had a message for... I'll tell you what is good as well now. <laughs> so it's good. That social service, service social workers, what, well, listen to me. Because before they wouldn't listen to a word, they wouldn't listen to anything. And the actual listen to me now and take my feelings. It's all right, you... You can do, uh, challenge something, but it's, you've got a challenge in the right way. And I didn't do that right in, you know, yeah. in, in, in meetings with social, kicking social services out of my house, threatening to bat teachers, that was not good. I know that now. But you know what, you can't do it on your own. So I need people, good people. And you know what, 
people that are coming to recovery with and I fought with my friends and stuff's happened and if God puts people in your life and takes people out of your life, that's what I believe. I'm not a big God person, but I believe that people get put in your path for a reason. Got put 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 in your path for a reason, didn't you I? You did, you did, you did. So tell me if you uh, had a message for the parents at New Beginnings who are struggling with addiction but maybe haven't told anyone. This is a hard one for me. Go on. I had to go through all that to get where I am today. Would you change anything about your past? No, I wouldn't. Because mm. I won't be where I am today. If someone's if someone's gonna come see you and say I'm using drugs, yeah, I was fair to tell you or anybody else taking drugs, remove my children straight away. It's about maybe maybe being honest and supporting that parent. Because addiction, you know, it's supporting that parent to what open up about it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but I never asked you about it. I don't think. I think I. Took you at your word that it was just cannabis. I'm very manipulative. Addicts are very manipulative. So if you could give me some advice then, in terms of what I could have done differently. Yeah, you couldn't have done anything differently. I know. I say that to you, you couldn't. I know. But we're all looking for ways to change the way that we practice. If people, parents, yeah, are in a similar situation that I was in, like there is a better life. Mm. There is a better life, and not just for you, but for your children. Because that in their life, getting up in the morning and your first thing in your mind is not, it's not good. The first thing and in you your think mind is... Drugs. Mm. And you know what, you think your children don't know, but they do. Daughter always says, I knew they were, before I admitted it, we always knew there was something we thought you was mental. But I weren't mental, I was just lost. So your daughter didn't know either? No, she didn't know till the kids went. And then I went to sit Well, she went, yeah. A few days, a few weeks after that, because she, she went, yeah, it gets off a little bit. But uh, I sat them both down, my oldest and said, listen, I'm an addict. And I'm, like, go, I'm going to these lots from here. And they were both behind me, they were behind you 100%, Mum. And they have been behind me 100%. Yeah, they have, haven't they? Yeah, they have. Yeah. Just be honest. Maybe what you feared, which was losing your kids... Yeah. Once you lost your kids, it wasn't such a big fear to have anymore. It was... I didn't lose them. I handed them over, didn't I? But the kids weren't with me. They weren't with you. And you know what? I had to, and I worked hard to get where I am today. Yeah. I have worked... And it's not being easy. We've well, got a better relationship with them now. Yeah, it's not easy. I don't get me. It's no. not all f- sunshines and fluffy clouds. I mean, it's a recovery. It's not. You have your bad days. You have your good days. But my bad days in in recovery is nothing like my bad days in addiction. Do you ever have any regrets about the past few years? Would I change anything? Probably not. And that's me being honest. I have the capacity to be honest these days. Because I was very just, I always thought I was, what you see is what you get with me, but obviously not. You used to say that all yeah, the time. Yeah, of course, yeah. <laughs> I went to rehab like, what you see is what you get with me, and, and nah, it isn't, because I'm very, put the wall over all your eyes. And how and you did that, that. And regret that. But also, it's very clever how you did that <sighs> in your confused chaos. Smoke and mirrors. That's what it used to feel like. There's no way I'll go back to that old life for people to turn around saying that you couldn't do it. Because that ain't fair on... That's why I stay clean. So on that moment, I think it's a good time to end. Okay. Thank you. You're welcome. Making this podcast has been important for me on a personal level for so many reasons. Mainly because of the journey I've been on with Sylvia from the moment I first met her thinking that I had the knowledge that would help her to change her situation around and then realising very quickly that I so did not have the skills that I needed to support her or her children in any meaningful way. I think I wanted Sylvia to change more than she wanted to and of course I know now that if a parent isn't ready to make those changes with our love and support there is nothing I can do to force them. In 2020, I wrote an article with Sylvia 
which explored the passage of time and liminal spaces, because that is what I thought was happening, that Sylvia was stuck in transition, unable to leave the memories of her past, especially those of her son, behind her, and that moving to a new place without chaos and social workers was too difficult for her to properly envisage. But knowing what I know now, I can see that part of that story about being stuck in the past, well, yeah, it's true. However, there was so much more to a story that I didn't know, or with hindsight, possibly didn't want to know. I could see the chaos. I even suspected that there was more going on that she wasn't telling me. But something I didn't do was ask her directly. I didn't name what I saw. Sylvia has taught me and my team to do just that to continue to build good, strong relationships with parents who are referred to us, to do what we can to support them make positive changes for the benefit of them and their family. But now, what we also do is to name what we see and to do that with care and with kindness. What I have learned is that creating a safe space for parents to share their secrets is vitally important if we are to help them take a step into the unknown. And also to give reassurance that you will be there for them when they get there. I hope Sylvia's story helps us help other parents see that there is a life after addiction. That recovery is worthwhile. And that making connections between your past and the present is a journey that whilst painful is beneficial. Especially when it comes to understanding who you are and who you want to be.